Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25. Lord willing, this week my caffeine t- intake is a little less than last week. Um, I knew I was going fast, and then one of my worst things that I do in my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday evaluation of the services is listen to myself. Better than watching myself. Video is way worse. I mean, this is a delight and all, but it's still a little uncomfortable. So listen to myself. Like, wow. Squirrel's got nothing on me last week, so <clears throat> so we're going to try to slow it down and see what happens, and, and you know that that is a true thought in my heart, and yet impossible for me to pull off, so we'll see what happens. If you go to Isaiah 25 this morning, we're continuing our series of Behold, Behold. We, we um, talked last week about how many older versions, like the King James Version, um, the New American Standard Bible, the New King James Version, often use the word behold. And the idea with behold is stop everything, look what's before you, and be overwhelmed with a sense of awe. Now, the Christian Standard Bible and the NIV cheat and don't use the word behold. They use a word called look. And that doesn't quite cut it. I mean, maybe if you're with your child and you're driving and an animal runs by and your child says, look, okay, but it doesn't bring with it the sense of awe. And so this morning I want to make sure as I'm reading through the Christian Standard Bible in Isaiah 25, you will see me replace the word look with behold. It's the same Hebrew word. Um, It just gives us the sense of what we're going for. So let let me read the entire chapter, Isaiah 25, and I want you to follow along. And as as we're reading, I want to encourage you to be thinking about the favorite topic that we all enjoy and cling to of waiting. See how many times the idea of waiting shows up in this chapter. The foundation of waiting, the fulfillment of waiting, the act of waiting, and and, and just just take take note of that as we read through. Okay, Isaiah chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Lord, you're my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago, and with perfect faithfulness. So you've turned their city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins. The fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It'll never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The cities of violent nations will fear you. You have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his distress, a refuge from storms, a shade from heat, when the the breath of the violent is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry land. You'll, You'll subdue the uproar of the barbarians. As the shade of a cloud cools the heat of the day, so he will silence the song of the violent. That's just a little, little context for you. We're out in the darkness now. That would be really appropriate for about 20 minutes from now. It would fit perfect. Rats. Okay, okay, verse (laughs) 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all peoples a feast of choice meat. A feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he's going to swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations, when he has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, 
behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation for the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. But Moab will be trampled in his place as straw is trampled in a dung pile. He will spread out his arms in the middle of it as a swimmer spreads out his arms to swim. His pride will be brought low along with the trickery of his hands. The high-walled fortress will be brought down, thrown to the ground, to the dust. Isaiah says, I'm going to praise you and exalt you, God, because... These plans that you formed long ago, you have fulfilled in perfect faithfulness. These, these wonders that can be translated as miracles, all of these things that you planned long ago, you navigated through the history, you navigated through kings and queens, you navigated through both good and bad leaders, you navigated through obedience, even disobedience, you navigated through hurt and excitement, and in the end, what you have done is perfect faithfulness. The plans you had long ago, when God shows up to Abraham and says, Abram, what I want you to do is I want you to leave your country. Don't just leave your country. I want you to go to a place. A place that I, I will tell you about later. How many of you are like, sweet, start the car. Where are we going? Don't know. Abraham, I, I will tell you. I will show you. I will guide you. I will direct you. Oh, and not only do I want you to leave your home and go to a place that I will yet show you, but I want you to know that I'm going to work in your life in such a way that through you and your children, I'm going to provide a mass of people. Oh, childless Abram, who is more than getting up there in years, you're going to have children, and through your children, I will build a heritage. And oh, those children and that heritage, they will have a, a land. They will have a future, Abram. So you're sitting at work this week, and God speaks to you. I don't know, through the radio. Let's go with through the radio. And suddenly he says, I want you to leave your job and go to another job I will show you. I want you to know that I'm going to fill your bank account. Your car probably won't work most of the time. The police are going to continue to pull you over. People are going to stand in your way. There's really no clear path to get to where I'm going to lead you, but eventually we will get there, and it'll be glorious. So um, clock out, buddy. Abram did. It, it, keep a finger there in, in Isaiah 25 and flip over to Psalm 105. Psalm 105 is a, it's a glorious psalm that tells the story of God's work through Abram and his people. And it just highlights certain things in the history of Abram that I think we may miss sometimes. Psalm 105, the psalmist is saying, we need to give thanks to God, we need to call on him, we need to proclaim his deeds to all the people, we need to sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about his wondrous works, to, to boast in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord, seek his strength, seek his face. Remember the wondrous works. Same word. And then the psalmist unpacks what those wondrous works look like. 
Verse 7, he's the Lord our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he ordained for a thousand generations. That promise, that covenant he made with Abraham. The promise that he, he renewed and swore to Isaac. And he confirmed yet again to Jacob as a decree. And to Israel as a permanent covenant. And this is the promise. I will give you the land of Canaan as your inherited portion. And then look, look what the psalmist says. He says, now, that promise has been given. Now watch what happens in Abram's life. Verse 12. They were few in number. There weren't a lot of them. Very few indeed. Resident aliens in Canaan, and what they were doing was not staying stationary behind a wall. They were wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. And and what God did in that moment, this tiny little nation who was taking their life in their hands by wandering through the wilderness, God says that God allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their behalf, and he said this, Don't touch my anointed one. Whew. Daddy showed up at middle school to talk to the bully. Don't harm my prophets. This one's mine. If you have a problem with them, you have a problem with me, God says. Verse 16, God in his wisdom called down famine against the entire land. He destroyed the entire food supply. But in his infinite wisdom, God had sent a man ahead of them. Okay, so, so hold on before I get there. If you're reading through Genesis, and you're reading this promise to Abram, and you're reading that he's going to have children, and you, Abram, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac is the one. Okay, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's the one. Okay, Jacob has all these sons. You're like, Judah. Judah's going to be the one that God works through and uses. And ultimately, he does use his lineage of Judah. But what's fascinating, and here's this little obnoxious kid named Joseph, who's Y'all have that brother or sister if you have brothers and sisters. Even if you only have one, it's that one. And look what God says about Joseph. God sent a man ahead of them just before the famine, just before the entire food supply was destroyed. That man's name is Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Wait, God did what? He was in the selling of Joseph? He was. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was placed in an iron collar. Until the time his prediction came true, the word of the Lord continues to te- continued to test him. And then the king sent for him and released him. The ruler of the peoples, Pharaoh, set him free. But he didn't just set him free. He didn't just release him from prison. No, what he did was he made Joseph master of his household, ruler over all his possessions, binding his officials at will and instructing his elders. And what's amazing through that, that led to when this huge famine happens, Joseph is in Egypt and Israel, Joseph's family, comes to Egypt like, can we get a loaf of bread, sir? And Joseph's like, why don't you move in and bring all the kids? Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. It's another word for Egypt. While they were there, the Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them more numerous than their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to deal deceptively with his servants. So again, you can't miss what just happened. God is involved in this wonderful, mysterious, miraculous movement among his people, bringing them into Egypt, causing them to grow, causing them to flourish while they're in Egypt. And while they're there, God turns the heart of the Egyptians to hate the Israelites. Well, that seems odd. Well, no. Egypt wasn't the land God had promised Abram. What God was doing was getting them out of Egypt. So God, in verse 26, sent Moses, his servant, Aaron, 
whom he had chosen. They performed all these miraculous signs, runs through the, the ten plagues here. Get down to verse 36. He struck all the firstborn in their land. We talked about the Passover last week. And then what God did, verse 37, he brought Israel out with silver and gold. Not one of his tribes stumbled as they went. Egypt was glad when they got out of town, for the dread of Israel had fallen on them. God miraculously superintended in the travel of the Israelites by spreading a cloud as a covering, giving fire to light up the night. He provided for their food needs. Verse 40, they asked and he brought quail and he satisfied them with bread from heaven. He provided what they needed to quench their thirst, opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert. Why? Verse 42, because he remembered the promise he made to his servant, Abraham. So he brought his people out with rejoicing. He gave them the lands of the nations. They inherited what other people had worked for. So when Isaiah says, Lord, you are my God, I am going to exalt you. I will praise your name because you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago, and you have done so with perfect Faithfulness. So hidden in our English translations is what lies underneath that phrase, perfect faithfulness. And I want to encourage you with this. This, is, this happens often in uh, particularly biblical languages. Perfect faithfulness. That is actually the word faithful or a form of the word faithful being used twice. So, so, so God, you have accomplished the plans you had formed long ago with faithful faithfulness. Doesn't get much better than that. So as Isaiah looks around and claims these things, and as we read the first verse of Isaiah 25 in particular, the question has to be asked Is that how we feel? Lord, you're so good. Plans you made long ago for me. Frank Taylor, you have accomplished them through perfect faithfulness. You have been faithful on top of faithful, God. Is that how you feel? Is that what your prayer sounds like? Just look at the context of Isaiah. The people are rejecting and rebelling against God. The kings are rejecting and rebelling against God. The nations are about to attack God's, God's people. Instead of verse 1 being, Lord, you're my God, I will exalt you. It sounds like the song that Isaiah writes should sound a lot more like the ones you and I pray. Like, God, how long? What is going on? When, when? Sound like lament by any chance? Yeah, sorry. I told you, it is stuck in me. There's this tension in our lives, man. It's loss, it's death, it's sadness. And, 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 and we see this, and sometimes we can be like, yeah, that's fine for Isaiah, because God was doing all those things, but in my life, what about, time out, time out, time out, time out. Do you think in Abram's life, when he left his home, had no idea where he was going, he looked at his rather elderly wife, who was beautiful, because all old women are beautiful, I've learned my lesson here. Thank you. <laughs> that's a trap I have stepped in a couple times, I'm going to learn eventually. Do you think Abram was like, oh, God, you've been so faithful to me. This is awesome. 
I love not knowing where I'm going. How many of you love being lost? Yeah? You like that? I can't stand it when I'm looking at Google Maps and it's like, turn left here. Which left? It looks like, this one, this one, this one, what's going on? And I can't handle it. Abram's, you think he was exalting in that moment? I think the children of Israel were celebrating as they were being forced to manual labor in Egypt to build those things for Pharaoh. God, you've been so faithful, faithful, faithful even. Hey, let me ask you a question. In your life, as you wrestle with the tension between the pain of this world, which there is plenty of, and the promise of God, which is yet to come, Who told you he was done? That's the lie we fall for, aren't we? Because I can't see how this is going to turn out. (sighs) Can you use the phrase unfaithful, unfaithful? Who told you he was done? Hey, good news. The perfect faithfulness of God. The faithful faithfulness of God is possible because he is also perfect in power. There is nothing that restrains him. There is nothing that holds him back. There is nothing that keeps him from doing what he has purposed to do. I I love the end of verse 8, which we're going to talk about a little more specifically in a couple minutes, but but he gets to the end of verse 8 and he says, all these things happened because the Lord has spoken. Yeah, the Lord's spoken. He did that once before, didn't he? Remember? Light! Bam! Light! Right? Platypus, bam! I don't know why he went with platypus, but he did. Actually, he just said, make that, and Adam was like, I don't know what to name it, platypus? Um, Anything he spoke because of the power of God, because it's in him. He is so very powerful. I heard this years ago, and I just love this. He is so very powerful that he called out to nothing, and nothing was like, I gotta respond. That's God. These things happen because the Lord spoke, verse 8 says. Verse 10 tells us these things will happen because the hand of God rests on this mountain. The Lord's power, that word power is his hand. It's just there. So you know what you can know? You can know as God puts his hand on your shoulder, because of my power, these things will happen. He's so perfect in his power. Go back to verses 2 and 3. Talking about the barbarians, the foreign nations, those who would attack Israel. He says, you know, you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins, a fortress of barbarians. Is no longer. I mean, he just decimates them. He, he wipes them out. There is no one who can rebel against God and maintain. They will be judged. They will be taken care of. But here's the amazing thing. Because of the judgment of God, God is so powerful, so big, so strong. Look what happens in verse 3. A strong people will honor you, and cities of violent nations will fear you. The enemies of Israel, those people who seem to be the most rebellious against God in this moment, are like now falling on their face before him. Almost like we're told it's going to happen in the New Testament when it says, every knee will bow. That's how perfect in power he is. He is so perfect in power, he shows off a little bit in verse 6, which I love verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat. A feast with aged wine. I'm still here, the light beer thing didn't kill me. I just want to point out, it doesn't say light beer. Okay, moving on. You guys are still uncomfortable with that. It's okay, relax, it's okay. (laughs) I'm not getting cocky, I promise. Um. Prime cuts of choice meat, a fine vintage wine. Do you notice the repetition there as well? 
See the repetition in that verse? The repetition, it talks about the feast of choice meat, prime cuts of choice meat, a feast with aged wine. Oh, wine's vintage wine. He says, this isn't just, here's a great meal. He says, no, 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 this is a meal like no other. I'm sorry, kale is not on the menu. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Amen. God's coming in and he's like, listen, you want to show me how, I want to show you how powerful I am. This is his coronation moment. This is the king of kings saying, I am king, and I am such a benevolent king, you all get to benefit from it. I'm going to give you the choicest of meats, the finest of wines, and then I'm going to do something even better. Look at verse 7. On this mountain he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud that covers all the people, the sheet that covers all the nations, the enemy that every single one of us faces, that, that thing that we look forward to and know we will never escape, that thing that has taken so very much from us. He says in verse 9, God will swallow up death once for all. I love that it doesn't end there. I love that God doesn't just defeat death. But our God is not just powerful, he's also personal, and he reaches down to wipe the tears from your face. Verse 9, on that day, it's going to be said, behold, our God. We've waited for him, and he saved us. He didn't let us down. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in this salvation. We have waited. This is, this is incredible news for those who wait on him. Now, without spending a lot of time there, um, verses 10, 11, and 12 talk about what happens to those who don't wait on God, but have their own lofty ideas and plans and pride that enters in. And he says, what's going to happen to them is that God's going to come and he's going to crush them into the dung heaps, the wet dung heaps. And so verse 11 talks about how they are going to be trying to do the breaststroke through the dung, and God's just going to scoff at them. That's what happens when you don't wait on God, when you've come up with your own plan. This, this here is talking about those who wait on God, and waiting means more than just biding your time. It means more than just to be like, okay, 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 are we ready yet? It means much more than that. It means refusing to rush to my own answers. It means actively running into his presence means being still and listening to him and hearing his wisdom. And when you wait on him, the reward is incredible. The waiting is less like waiting for the red cup at Starbucks. Any of you get stuck in that line? I know some of you did because I ran into you there. <laughs> By accident. I had no idea. And there we sat. Just wanted a cup of coffee. And 45 minutes later, I got a cup of coffee. And a red cup, which you're all supposed to be envious of, evidently. And I stood there, and I tried to be patient, and some of you interacted with me while we were there, and so I was, I had to be pastoral. <laughs> I was not feeling very pastoral at the moment. <laughs> I got some place to be. Can you just give me what I need so I can get out of here? I don't mean waiting like that. This is going to lose some of you, but hopefully I can carry you through this. I'm talking about post-credit scene waiting. Okay, there's a couple of chuckles. But what is post-credit? I go to the movies with my kids, my wife and I go. 
Um, actually, somebody buys us tickets for this movie or else we never would have gone. Um, this amazing movie called Avengers. The movie's done, and, I, and, I, and I'm ready to go. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go for a couple of reasons, not the least of which was they upsold me to a two-liter bottle of Pepsi for $1.99. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> So when the movie's done, it's like, let's go, get, the, get, get your sticky shoes off the floor and let's get out of here. But I'm packing up and my kids are like, no, you can't go yet. It has one of those things. What is one of those things? Other people are leaving. Yeah, but they don't know. So we got to stay. So I'm sitting there and it's like, I don't even know what's going on. And you see the credits rolling and they're just rolling. It's black background, white words, just rolling. And ro you've all been there, you've rolling. And it's listing all the names of the producers, the assistant producers, the Uber drivers, the guys who tie shoes, all the people who are like, Mom, Dad, I made it. I'm going to be on the screen. And the only people who sit through that are the people looking for their kids' names. Right? And there we are. And that fades away. And the scene starts back up. Now, in this, this particular movie... There's some shadowy dude, who I still have no idea who he is, even if I looked it up online this week, is talking with this creepy music in the background. And he's talking about how the Avengers have stopped them. And, you know, the, to challenge humans is to court death, he says. And this, this, they're panning in on the back of this head. And this purple dude starts to turn. He looks like... It looks like Barney's hit the gym for the last thousand years. <laughs> and he turns and he looks, and there's not a word is said, but his eyes are glowing, and he's like, and it ends. <laughs> and my kids are like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what is, what is happening? That's, that's Thanos. Cool. Who's Thanos? Well, Thanos is the guy who's going to connect all the infinity gems, and he's going to become this boss. I got so many questions, but the Pepsi, so I gotta go. We'll talk about it in the car. <laughs> See, what would you find out? These kids knew what was coming up in that 45 second clip because they had been reading ahead, paying attention. And that, that little snippet, that 45 seconds, is not the full story that's to come, but it's placed there to give you a glimpse of what the next story is and who to anticipate arriving in the next story. So if you follow the series, you get it. If you don't, you ask your kids, and then you almost get it. And here I am, what, 14 years later, looking it up on Google, like, what was that about? I still don't know. So the Old Testament ends, and the credits start to roll. Kings, queens, prophets, priests, small characters, great characters, obedient characters, disobedient characters. It even gets to the place where you start naming ridiculous names. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai. Who names their kid Haggai? But there it is on the screen. <laughs> it ends with Malachi. And it fades out, so now you're just on a black screen with no noise, no words. 
until the star pops up in the eastern sky. As the camera kind of pans back away from the star, you, you, you see the silhouette of a ridge, and you can see some people walking on the ridge, the glistening in the, in the star, and the starlight is so bright, they're carrying things, you can see like the gleam of treasures they're carrying. And the camera does one of those cinematic things, right? It's kind of a, and it flies over a couple of hills, a few small mountains, into a valley or two, and it lands in this place, it's just, it's just a barnyard. And it comes into this, this stable area, and, and they're sitting right there. Maybe on their knees. Two teenagers. The camera just kind of comes over their shoulder and looks at what they're looking at. And there in the feeding trough is this squirmy, ugly infant. Hey, I'm being consistent. That's all there is. Wrapped up in cloths as best as they could. And what we should react with is, whoa, <laughs> this is amazing, because if you've been following along, you know where this goes. From this, this tiny little podunk town called Bethlehem, all the way to the top of Mount Zion, where God's like, see what I did? I swallowed up sin, I defeated death, I wiped away your tears, there is no shame for you, nothing but an opportunity for you to fall on your knees and proclaim, behold our God. This is what he did for you. This is what he has done for us. In that manger scene, just the beginning. This is the we have waited for him. Let's rejoice and let's be glad in his salvation. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that in that manger, it was just a baby. But it wasn't just a baby. It wasn't just any baby. It was, it was God in flesh. Thank you, Father, that 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 was just a small glimpse of everything that was to come. That that wonderful, wondrous, miraculous birth that you planned so long ago was, was just a small part of what was to come. That kid would grow up just like every other kid, except this one's different because he's your child. He would live a life that was perfectly obedient to the law. He would stump the most theological and religious of thinkers by focusing on what really mattered and not the stupid, inane side conversations. He would point to the holiness of God and the need for a sacrifice, and then he himself would be that sacrifice for us. Lord, Capture our hearts. Fill us with awe. Amen.